Hey, everybody, it is Trags Mike Petralio one more time with you here on the Jungle Roar podcast. Won't be my final time. I probably shouldn't have said it that way. But in this latest episode of the Jungle Roar podcast, I am joined by the one and only Mo Egger. Uh, 1530 ESPN, ESPN 1530. I always get that screwed up. ESPN 1530, three to six. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Mo Egger, all one word. How are you, bud? I'm good. I, I, I thought, man, if, if, if this is the series finale and I'm the guest, that's a problem. You need a bigger name than this. It is not the series finale. I assure you. <laughs> I, uh, I've been enjoying doing this, Mo. You were the second guest, by the way. Wow. You know that, that back who, last year. It's been uh who was who was Dan Horde. Okay. Dan well you Hord. aimed really high. Very yeah, good. I, I did and it was uh, <laughs> the it drop was drop off was significant from one to two. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But how you been? You, you you're good. Everything is great. Everything is really good. All right. Uh, let's get to the heart of the matter with the Cincinnati Bengals. First of all, Jonah Williams held a news conference. He's one of the two Bengals made available um, by the team on Tuesday. And he spoke about the t- subjects you would expect him to talk about. Uh, the team picking up his fifth-year option for 2023, a deal worth about $12 million guaranteed. Good for him. I uh, talked about what happened in the Super Bowl, and he talked about the new offensive line teammates that he's going to have. I want to get to your uh, impression and your takeaway on why you think or don't think it was a good idea to pick up that fifth-year option. Um, I suppose it was a, a good idea be- because I try to look at this through the lens that the Bengals view Jonah Williams from day one, they've had an extreme amount of confidence in the fact that he was a franchise left tackle, right? Because it wasn't, we drafted him with the 11th overall pick and we're not sure where we're going to put him or he's going to sit and learn and watch. And then he's going to start. It was, he's going to be the starting left tackle. Now those plans were thwarted by the fact that he got injured during OTAs and didn't play at all during his rookie season. But that was That was interesting to me, right? I mean, they drafted him 11th overall. They could have taken a quarterback. They they could have taken the the late uh, Dwayne Haskins. Um, They took an offensive lineman, and they said, he's our starting left tackle week one of his rookie season before he ever went through a practice. So I've always looked at him through their lens. We like this guy a lot. I don't know when he's been on the field that he's done all that much to dissuade them from feeling that way. Is he going to get a long-term huge money extension? I, I guess. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very good question. But I thought he was all right last year. Um, he certainly was the one offensive lineman at the end of the Super Bowl that you're like, well, it'll be Jonah Williams and then a whole bunch of other different guys. We didn't know really what that would look like. And so I, I guess looking at him through their lens, it doesn't surprise me that they picked up the the, the fifth-year option. It's still interesting to me um, – to, to listen to people talk about him maybe being moved to right tackle and maybe, maybe ultimately that's where he's, he's better uh, suited to play. Um, but they've always viewed him as a foundational piece. I mean, he was the first draft choice of the Zach Taylor regime. He was always a foundational piece of what they were doing, whatever, whatever, what was next was going to look like. He was a foundational piece of that. I don't, I don't know that he's done anything to, to, to move them off of that except from getting hurt. And I don't, I don't put that on him. So it it didn't surprise me that they picked up the option. And I, I think I go along with it. 
So uh, pro football focus had his grade at 77 last year. Um, mm-hmm. Solid. He allowed eight sacks. And, and I look at the eight sacks like this model. When you have a quarterback like Joe Burrow, who's going to drop back as much as he is, and you're the left tackle, you're going to give up sacks. It's going to happen. Nobody's going to be perfect in this right. league. And to, to expect that is completely and entirely unrealistic. I thought he was solid, like you said, not maybe not spectacular, maybe not as dominant as you would like, perhaps in the run game. But still, uh, I thought his grade uh, was very good um, in the Playoff game against the Raiders, he allowed just one pressure to Yannick Ngakwe. Thought he had a good game there. Um, there were signs to me from Jonah Williams that, as Zach Taylor called him, an ascending, he is an ascending player, player on the rise. And that if they feel like he's headed in that direction, then I think that's a good thing. What I liked Tuesday was that there was some accountability from Jonah that, hey, look, we all know we need to be better. I need to be better. And for the Bengals to finish the goal, finish the mission in Glendale next year, they're going to have to be better, not only passing the ball, but I think running the ball five times in the Super Bowl, Mo. And I'm sure you don't need to be reminded of this. They could not pick up a freaking yard. That has to be better. No question. No no doubt about it. And I think everybody realizes it. And and I, I, I certainly hope that that is thought about when play calls are made and personnel decisions are made about, you know, who's in the game and at, at certain uh, junctures, but mm-hmm. yeah, I like what Jonah had to say. He certainly, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to say he took responsibility, but I, I think he realizes what we all do that the body of work last year was good. It has to be better. Um, but I think that's true for a lot of his teammates and, and it's certainly true for the offensive line as, as a whole, but I mean, I know what bad tackle play looks like. You know, like I've, I've been a fan of this franchise. I know what great tackle play looks like, certainly. But I know what bad tackle play looks like. I didn't watch Jonah Williams last year and go, he's bad or he's in over his head or he's outmanned. There were times he got beat. That's going to happen. But I never felt like this is not a starting caliber NFL player. That's a pretty low standard to hold to a, a guy who was the 11th overall pick. But compared to some of his offensive line mates last season, um, he looked like he looked like an all pro. So, you know, it, it's funny. Last year, I, I read a list of potential breakout players for 2021, and 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 it was you know mostly skill guys, and I certainly understand why. But I remember thinking, like, God, shouldn't Jonah Williams be on that list? Breakout player who hasn't really, you know, he played ten games in two seasons. He is a former first round pick. Uh, they're going to ride or die with him at left tackle. He's finally healthy. Why can't he be that guy? I guess I would maybe say the same thing about him this year, right? Like, why can't he be one of those breakout players that by the end of the season, you're like, oh, man, in Cincinnati, they've got their left tackle. They've got to figure out a way to keep him, what it's going to cost, how it's going to impact the other financial decisions they make. I would put him on the same list this year that I would have last year, but now it's based more on his performance. His performance last year was satisfactory, but I think we're all expecting more in 2022. Jackson Carmen, how do the Bengals proceed with this. I get the sense right now, Mo, that they are doing their due diligence on the accusations that came out uh, last week and uh, trying to make sure that they do the right thing for all parties involved going forward, if you know what I mean. I'm trying to say this as um, 
tenderly and as cautiously as I can because it's it, it is that kind of subject. Um, but with Jackson Carmen's uh, future literally up in the air, uh, the Bengals have to come up with somebody and and some solution at left guard is the only question mark right now on that offensive line. Yeah, it, I mean, it really might be the only the, the only starting gig up for grabs during training camp, right? I mean, yeah. there's going to be obviously, you know, positions on special teams and lower on the depth chart at certain positions. But I mean, you're going to camp, you know, okay, well, who's the punter and who's the left guard? And that really might be it. Um, I, I think the Bengals have historically, and it's it's not apples to apples because with Joe Mixon, there was a court case and a video. But in the face of that very overwhelming public evidence, the Bengals chose to draft Joe Mixon because they were comfortable with the homework they did. Um, now, what Joe did was a lot more out in the open. Um, with Jackson Carmen, it's not so much out in the open. There's also not been an indictment. He was never arrested. Right. Um, but my guess is the the Cincinnati Bengals, even though the, the coaching staff is different, that they view Jackson Carmen the same way they did Joe Mixon. Uh, we did our due diligence. We did our homework. We were comfortable. We don't care what outsiders say. We don't care how it looks. We're comfortable with investing in this guy and we're comfortable with the, the, the suggestion that he is going to move forward and be a, a productive player and not somebody who, who gets in trouble. I think regardless of what outsiders say about the size of their personnel department, I think regardless of what other teams might say about, Hey, we're staying away from this guy. They've always been comfortable with whatever level of homework and due diligence they've done. And, and they've made picks based on that or made selections, roster decisions based on that homework and that due diligence. So I don't think, I genuinely don't think that because of what has been written about Jackson Carmen's past, that his, his job is, is hanging in the balance. I think because he showed up to training camp overweight and ill-prepared to play the position, I, I think that certainly puts him in jeopardy of, of, not being on the team, perhaps uh, right. certainly not being a starting caliber player. I, I think the fact that they drafted a, an offensive lineman um, would, would suggest that Cordell Volson certainly has a, a very good chance and, and did so by referencing a lot of the things that you don't associate with Jackson Carmen maturity and leadership and things of, of that nature. I, I think even had we known nothing about what the defector uh, website wrote about and, and and a lot of it is extraordinarily off-putting it's very very lengthy it's a lot to wrap your brain around had that not existed I think we'd be talking about man going into camp Jackson Carmen faces a very uphill battle to be the starting left guard in this team I don't know that that information changes what's going to unfold for him during training camp he was still going to have to show up in far better shape than he showed up in last year he was going to have to show a heck of a lot more dedication to his job and I guess there's a part of me that would say, well, y you drafted him and didn't get a sense of how seriously he took football, how seriously he took being in shape. And look, there's a long list of players who didn't get it their first go around. And then the light came on and they showed up for their second season or third yeah. season in better shape, better prepared in a, in a better mental place, in a better physical place. And they became productive players. I don't I don't believe and this, again, is based on just how the Bengals have done things historically. I don't believe that his off-field issues at Clemson put his job in jeopardy. I believe that, that he was not very good, not very mature, not very prepared. 
and not used late in the season and faces competition from a guy they drafted and seem to really, really like. I think that puts his job in jeopardy in a, in a big, big way. Chatting up Mo Egger of ESPN 1530 here in Cincinnati on weekdays uh, 3 to 6 p.m follow him on twitter at mo egger all one word and um your cough button working (laughs) you tell me apparently i didn't hear it so that's good (laughs) that's good um i'm gonna ask you uh mo your impressions of the offseason duke tobin has had because what i see from duke tobin and the front office in general was a plan and it's what has impressed me the most about the Bengals offseason. They went into this offseason, even after the Super Bowl, as truncated as it is, because obviously you play into mid-February, uh, only two teams do that. They had um, a shorter offseason, but they had an idea of what they wanted to get done in free agency. They had an idea of what they wanted to do with the draft. And they had an obviously an idea of what they already have on the on the roster, the way they handled the the offensive line, the way they uh, targeted Hayden Hurst, and then the way they uh, went after speed in the secondary in the draft. It seems like to me they checked all of the boxes of the game plan that they had going into this offseason. When when I walked uh, with uh, my head in my hand, feeling dejected out of a SoFi stadium on February 13th, if you would have said to me, uh, we'll have a conversation in mid-May, they will have signed three offensive linemen, 29 or younger, uh, two of whom have rings. Um, they'll lose CJ Uzama, but they'll find a pretty suitable replacement and a guy who athletically, I think, possesses traits that CJ doesn't. And they're going to load up on DBs and just add a bunch of versatility and speed in the secondary. How are you going to feel about that? I would have said, great. So, uh, you know, I that that literally if you would have said to me at the beginning of the offseason, here's what they're going to do. Um, I would have said I would have signed up for that instantly. Uh, it felt organized. It felt uh, well executed. They did nothing out of desperation. There's none of those deals for the offensive linemen. You didn't look at any of them and go, God, you know, they, they really overpaid here. They didn't do anything out of desperation. They didn't trade for Lyle Collins, which a lot of people wanted them to so do. That, that's what I want um, to jump in here, uh, Mo, because. Yeah. The fact that they didn't do anything out of desperation and they didn't feel like their hand was forced came up most clearly in the way they handled L. Collins. They let it come to them and they didn't feel like they were under the gun to do anything. Yeah. I mean, they, they, and and by the way, I think one could have, I, I think one could have argued your, your quarterback just limped off the field and, ended his season with an injury for a second consecutive year, maybe you should do something desperate on the offensive line. And they still didn't. They didn't have to. Um, I, I think a lot of us, you know, those those of us who are familiar with how this franchise works, we, we thought, okay, free agency, they're going to bring in some offensive linemen. They're going to go sort of like a sec, high second-tier guy and then grab a guy who's looking for one more paycheck and maybe he was hurt last year and, you know, bargain basement. They didn't do that. They signed three at least in terms of the profile of the player, um, guys in their 20s, guys who come from winning programs, guys who have Super Bowl rings, um, Kappa and, and Karras, uh, speaking of them specifically, it was not what you expect from this front office if you haven't been paying attention. But if you have been paying attention, what they've done in terms of building the roster has been aggressive. They've gone from, you know, that first year, that first offseason two years ago where they sort of had to overpay some guys to come here. Um, they didn't really have to overpay anybody. 
They found suitable replacements for the players they lost. They had a specific plan in the draft. They also have done such a good job of roster building that you went into the draft and you're, you're like, well, they don't need to address every single position. We can, right. you know, address tight end next year and wide receiver depth. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. We want to throw a lot of guys at Lou Anarumo and put them in the secondary and let him figure out how these guys are all going to work out. And I also like with what they did um, above and beyond just drafting the players they took. I like the fact that they were willing to embrace the uncomfortable questions that are going to come their way about Jesse Bates, right? Because right. the moment they took a safety, the moment they selected Dax Hill, if the writing wasn't already on the wall, now it is. Jesse Bates won't be a Bengal beyond 2022. That is a question that will persist all year long. And drafting him tells me they're okay with handling that. They're okay with how the locker room is going to handle that. They're okay with the questions that are, that are going to come. They're okay with how Jesse is going to handle it, at least publicly and I'm guessing privately as well. I'm, I'm not sure that's something they would have done in the past. I, I, I sort of feel like previous regimes would have said, well, look, uh, we have this Jesse Bates situation here. We don't, we don't really want to embrace the discomfort that's going to come with, well, drafting his replacement effectively. Instead, the Bengals are like, yeah, we're going to do that. I think that's a really good sign of a mature, yes. uh, well-run professional franchise. I couldn't agree more. And there was a very subtle moment, I thought, in Mike Hilton's news conference with us last week that st really stood out. And it's when he said that, look, we all want Jesse Bates back. I certainly want him back. I want him to get his money. But if it doesn't happen, that's the business of football and we move on. That to me is Mike Hilton acknowledging, yes, this issue is going to be with us. It's going to be in the locker room, but we're more than ready to handle it. And however it works out, we're still here to win a ring and we're still here to try and play the best football we can with what is a very good roster. It just, it was a moment Mo that really stuck out to me. Yeah. I, 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 I played that on the air and you know, my take was because you'll hear from folks who say, well, you know, this could screw up the locker room. And I go, okay, are things like culture things we're just going to talk about or do they really matter? And so if you've spent all this time developing your, your team's culture and you've, you've built your team around the right guys, well, the true test of that is when there's a contract situation or some yeah. sort of adversity or a, a guy's dealing with something with management that could impact the rest of the team. You cover the New England Patriots. You know, is, 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 is Patriots culture a real thing where, um, you know, they can handle whatever issues may arise during the course of, of a season? Or is it something we just talk about because they win? Um, I suspect, I, I gather that it's something real. And if it's something real here, then this is not going to be an issue. I'm sure Jesse's not happy. I'm sure it's, this isn't easy for him. And I guarantee you, and you could speak to this better than I can, his teammates want him to stick and they want him to get paid. But again, if, if they've, if they've built the team um, with culture in mind, the way they say, then this is going to not be something that derails the team. And there have been times where I didn't feel like the Bengals were equipped to handle things like this. I don't think this is one of those instances. It almost strikes me, Mo, that every time that question is asked now of any, any of his teammates, any of Jesse Bates's teammates, it's like it's asked to try and see if there's some bitterness, some agitation, some nervousness, whatever word you want to use under the surface brewing with the Bengals. And I'm struck every single time there isn't. And it's like, they acknowledge that it's there, obviously, but it's not going to, it's not going to fester. It's not going to grow. That's the sense I get. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just I I gather that the the guys who matter most on this team understand the business part of this, understand the the, the realities of the sport, and and understand that you know th- these things happen. I mean, there's there are really good players who leave because they couldn't come to an agreement with uh, the team on what the next deal would look like. And it's, it's part of the sport. It's, it's not something that has to completely screw up your organization. And if your team is filled with mature guys who understand that you should still be able to take care of business in the short term as the long-term stuff gets, gets sorted out. And and this is not going to be, with this core group of guys, this is not going to be the last time there's a significant question about the Bengals and a player continuing right. their future together. So this is not a one-off. Um, it might be a one-off in terms of, of how it's dragged out and, and in terms of the weirdness of Jesse's season in which he was sort of pedestrian during the regular season and invaluable during the postseason last year. But these, again, if if you've built your team around the right guys, then you're built to handle stuff like this. And again, I I, I suspect the Bengals are. Well, and it's, uh, as you alluded to, one of the reasons you bring in veteran players who have been on successful teams who understand that this is part of the business so that when it comes up with a younger player, um, all of the other younger players aren't looking at each other saying, are they going to do this to me? The veterans take them aside for the most part. They take them aside and say, this is part of the business. Handle your business off the field. Handle your football business when when you're uh, in the locker room and on the field and in practice and everything else takes care of itself. Obviously the Bengals are going to have a situation with T Higgins coming up. I think they would love to sign uh, T long-term. I think that is going to be the next big priority on the offense. You agree with that, Mo? Uh, 100%. And, and for a younger player who looks at the Jesse Bates situation and says, well, is this how they're going to treat me? I mean, it's not like they haven't offered him a contract. It's not like they've refused to negotiate with them. They just haven't agreed to terms. That happens sometimes. Their track record with their very best players is really good in terms of those guys getting a second contract. Jesse, in that regard, is going to prove to be an outlier. But for the most part, I mean, I I can, even through some really dark years, I I can sit here and and give you a, a number of players who got second contracts and then even got third contracts that shouldn't have gotten third contracts. Geno Atkins Atkins is a primary example. So um, typically they give their best players very fair deals commensurate to their uh, market value. And there's guys on this team who could say that Tyler Boyd could say that Uh, Joe Mixon could say that. And, and that's been their track record. I would say that to any young player who wonders, well, what's going to happen to me when it's time for, for my deal to get talked about. And I would say it about T Higgins that they would love to keep him. The wide receiver market is exploding. Um, But you know, for, for about five minutes, once AJ green was the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. Right. Um, My guess is they'll give T Higgins what the market says T Higgins is worth. And then they'll have to make adjustments economically moving forward. Got to wrap it up here, uh, Mo. The schedule comes out on Thursday night. It's been leaked that the Bengals are going to be hosting the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday night football in the season opener. I think that's a pretty natural call. Certainly the Bengals yeah. uh, being on Sunday night football to open the season, that that's not a surprise. I think that's going to happen. But anything else you're looking forward to? Um, we know, obviously, we know what the who the opponents are, but I'm just <laughs> curious as to where they might put games. For instance, a home game against the Bills could be another primetime uh, matchup, certainly on Sunday night or even Monday night. Yeah, I think, you know, I, <laughs> I'm – 
I'm always interested in the positioning of the primetime games. Um, as as a fan who likes to go watch them on the road, I also like to see where they are in relation to where the UC Bearcats are. So mm. I'm, 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 I root you, for you and, and a certain voice of the Bearcats likes to do that. Who is, <laughs> uh, as you very well have know by following his Twitter uh, feed, um, yeah. he's very concerned about where the Bengals are going to be on Thanksgiving. He is, <laughs> and so am I. <laughs> I bet well for me. Uh, no, but I mean, look, I. <clears throat> They're a marquee team, right? So, um, and with Patrick Mahomes on the schedule and Josh Allen on the schedule and Tom Brady on the schedule, um, I I think people are making a little bit too much of Burrow and Chase going back to Louisiana. I don't really, not really sure that's as as marquee a game as people are making it out to be. And look, this this division, I mean, the Browns matter. I mean, you know, I we can debate what they did with Deshaun Watson, and we don't know you know, relative to where they are in the schedule. Still a huge question mark. They're not even on the board in Vegas because of that. Right. And, and so, and you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers are still formidable. Um, So I'm, I'm interested in seeing the placement of the primetime games and, um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me how the schedule release week has uh, really, grown to illustrate the stranglehold that football has on this country. Cause I used to be like, ah, oh, man, just put the damn uh, right. schedule in the paper. And now like the, I'll be there tomorrow night watching, maybe not Eight all three hours, sharp. but I'll be watching the schedule release, even though we know who's going to play who. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, traveling to see Brady uh, Brady against yeah. Burrow is it to me is, it's going to be a. I would be stunned if that were not a Sunday night game. I really would. Yeah, I I think that would be just the coolest Thanksgiving game ever. But uh, there's you know they could play the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, I guess, and they might not play on Thanksgiving. But I think that would be an immensely fun Thanksgiving game. The, the Brady Burrow thing could be could be an absolute blast. Could be a preview of Glendale. Could Super- be yes. Wouldn't that be a great way for Brady to go out? playing Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl. That would be the way. Yes. Yes. And then he'll call Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl uh, when it's on Fox <laughs> with uh, uh, Kevin Burkhart. So uh, that would be the best. I mean, it would be as a Bengals fan, it would be, it, it would be the best to send him off uh, passing the torch to Joe with him, Tom Brady losing a Super Bowl. But yeah, that would be cool. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, anything else on your mind before I let you go? Uh, nah, football can't, you know, the baseball season's been brutal, so football can't get here soon. You don't say. Well, as long as they don't run out of beer and hot dogs in the fourth inning, we're good. If you're going to sell $3 beers and $2 hot dogs, here we go. Sell them for the entirety of the game. That's all I ask. I put that one on a tee for you to drive 290 uh, yards down the middle of the fairway. I just want you to know that. You're the best, Mo. Uh, follow him. And follow him on ESPN 1530 or listen to him on ESPN 1530 right here in Cincinnati weekdays, three to six. Follow him on Twitter at Mo Egger, all one word. Follow me on Twitter at Trags, T-R-G-T-R-A-G-S, he said. Anyway, he's Mo Egger. I'm Mike Petralia. Thanks for watching.